Our guest now has built a career on dismantling the barriers that stop people making art. Three decades ago, Adrian Jackson founded a theatre company in London called Cardboard Citizens with a mission of creating theatre projects with and for people experiencing homelessness. The company's still going strong and it takes its forum theatre pieces to uh, theatres, hostels, prisons and other community venues around the country. Adrian was awarded an MBE for his services to the arts in 2018. He stepped back from Cardboard Citizens, but that's left room for some new projects, including one he's bringing to the Auckland Arts Festival. It's called Not King Lear, and it's been created in conjunction with the Hobson Street Theatre Company. Adrian Jackson's in our Tamaki Makauro Auckland studio. Great to have you with us, Adrian. Welcome to Nine to Noon. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's lovely to be with you or with issue. <laughs> with issue, I guess. We radio people, we think the voice is all there is. Um, <laughs> let's, um, let's begin with your own journey in the arts and, and with theatre before we look how it's evolved. Is that okay? Where did things begin for you? What, before theatre? Hmm. Oh, no, no, no with, with theatre. Um, yeah, with, with theatre, theater. originally. Uh, it's a strange career making your life in theatre because there is no plan, there is no pattern, and you just need to find your own, the people you're comfortable with and the places, uh, the subjects you're comfortable dealing with, and you're very lucky if that happens to you, and it happened to me, thank God, um, about 30 years ago. So prior to Cardboard Citizens, I suppose I was a jobbing theatre director, had my own company for a little while. Um, just making works, doing new plays mainly. And then the idea came... Well, I met this bloke, you see. I met this bloke called Augusto Boal, who invented this thing called the Theatre of the Oppressed. And at that time, I was associate director of a company called London Bubble in London, which was touring to communities. And one of the one of the challenges was making theatre about stuff that mattered without it becoming dull and boring and, and, and too meaningful and so on and so on. Working with communities to, to make theatre about important stuff without it ramming anything down anybody's throats, which is the last thing I want to do. And when I met this guy, Boal, he, he introduced me to this thing called the Theatre of the Oppressed, which is offers precisely that. A, a medium for discussing in a theatrical manner with a community issues of importance to that community. And that was the beginning of Cardboard Sits. And, and to tell you the truth, it was only supposed to be in a, a three-year experiment, but there you go. Stuff happens, doesn't it? You've added a zero. <laughs> yeah, he, had right. an, he had an extraordinary life, Augusta Boal, uh, uh, and forgive the pronunciation, Boal, yes, uh, what what are some of the core tenets of, of the theatre of the oppressed um, that that are worth discussing that have stayed with you that infuse your own work? Okay, good question. Um, I suppose the central tenet is is um, embodied in. Augusto's most successful and famous book, uh, which I translated, called Games for Actors and Non-Actors. Um, and then there's a little epigram somewhere in that book where he says, anybody can do theatre, even actors. So tongue somewhere near his cheek, 
um, he's really saying that theatre is a, is a vocation. It's a human vocation, um, and only in only in how we've evolved has it become this strange specialism. Uh, um, elitism, is, perhaps. Elitism, absolutely, which has become uh, elitist both in its application, i.e. Who, who gets to see it, and over-specialised, perhaps, is a better way of putting it in who gets to do it. Um, and that's what he started to dismantle and, and did really incredibly successfully because that work, The Theatre of the Oppressed, Catherine, it's, it's all around the world in so many different communities and countries. I've been privileged to work in about 30, 35 countries um, in different applications. Uh, and it finds its own resonance, its own meaning uh, wherever it takes root. So quite a clever idea. This type of practical theatre also, and, and I'll get you to elaborate a little bit more on how it differs from the audience sitting and watching the actors acting what someone else has scripted. Um, how, how is practical theatre or participatory theatre part of this? Okay. I mean, the, the important preface to this, Catherine, is that what we will be showing at the end of the month or whenever it is early next month uh, will, will, will not be strictly what I'm about to describe. But the most popular form of Augusta Boyle's work is called Forum Theatre. And essentially, uh, we show a play to an audience which has some connection with the central issue of that play. In its purest, uh, purest and purest form, the performers will also be people who've been affected by that issue. So obviously in my case in London all those years ago, it was people with lived experience of homelessness talking about stuff that happens. Uh, and originally, actually, we performed mainly to other audiences of people with experience of homelessness. So you show a play... It provokes a conversation, and the second part of the evening is called what's, what's called the forum. And in the forum, the audience is invited to take the place of the protagonist, the central character, and try other possible solutions to the problem with which they've been presented. So through an evening, many people come on stage, they try many ideas, some things work, some things don't work. A lot of laughter and pleasure and solidarity is released. A lot of ideas are probed and discussed by people who have some justification to discuss them because they, are, they, they know what they're talking about. And that's essentially it. At the end of the evening, we find some kind of way to close and we go back out into our lives and we hope that we might have learned something which we can apply therein. Does that give you a flavour? Yes, it does. It does. Um, you've described yourself, actually, as a middle-class guy. When you began, did you have preconceived notions? Say, let's go back to cardboard citizens. Did you have preconceived notions that got knocked to bits by working this way. Oh, What's the impact? I'm sure I did. But um, I'm, I'm disappointed to, to discover that I describe myself as a middle-class guy, but I am. My researcher <laughs> can assure you that. Okay, I'm sure. That's, <laughs> it was possibly I, I, 30 years ago, sorry. <laughs> I, I fess up to it. Um, 
but I think an important thing for me, Catherine, which took me probably 20, 25 years to realize is that though I am indeed said middle class guy, um, from the age of 15 onwards, I, I lived in other people's houses and my mother had died and my father was an alcoholic and I think I knew already when I started Kabul Citizens something of the feeling of displacement which homeless people feel. I'm not comparing my experience for one second because I was housed. It was fine. I was just in different people's houses. Um, but I think that gave me uh, an anchor, uh, a connection. Um, but of course, yes, I've learned a huge amount. And, and I mean, one of the things, one of the key lines in King Lear is, oh, I have taken too little notice of this. And it's when Lear confronts homelessness for the first time and suddenly realizes, like all of us walking around Auckland city centre and walking past the so many people in the street, have we taken enough notice of this? Um, and it's a, it's a really important moment. So yes, the answer to your question is I, I, I learned a lot over all those 30 years. One of the things I learned is homeless people are just like you and me. Another thing I learned is Lots of stories of the reasons people found themselves in that position and uh, the bravery with which they approached it and the um, the abilities that people had to remove themselves from it. And I'm not a religious person, but there, but for the grace of God go I, is actually absolutely appropriate in this case. Undoubtedly it is, and that's connection, that disconnect that you talk about as a young person, um, life does things to us. We don't get to script our lives. We try to, and, and then life happens. Absolutely. So you knew from a very young age about life happening. King Lear as the play to um, to bring to Auckland and, and to tell the stories. It's interesting, it's the second use of Lear in the festivals that are happening this year. I was talking to someone yesterday using it as the basis for uh, a play um, about the experience of dementia uh, and a very clever kind of... Um, uh, plot twist uh, in, enables the two to kind of um, the two to collide. In this instance, the, the story that our actors are telling us, and what the play is about, what is the potency of of Shakespeare's play? Okay. Um. So first of all, um, you wait all day for a King Lear, and then two come along at once. The 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 question about dementia. I mean, I think it's pretty darn clear that Lear is in the early stages of what we now call dementia. Um, and I don't think actually you can approach a production without noticing that and um, however much you put it at front and centre of things. Um, what is the potency? Part of the potency perhaps now is that thing that I'm 67, I'm in a kind of way fortunate in having lost my parents long, long ago. But so many of my friends, their parents are entering this difficult stage of life. We're living so ridiculously long these days. And 
what are we going to do with them? How are we going to take care of them? Uh, how will we look after them? What are our responsibilities? Um, so, I mean, I suppose the the potency, I mean, the potency of Shakespeare at any given moment depends exactly on the given moment yes. that we are in. Mm. That's the point. Um, so that bit is inescapable. So I'm very interested, of course, to understand how in the culture of Aotearoa it happens. How do people look after their elders in Maori uh, cultures in the iwi? How, how do people um, care for their elders? Is there a point at which that respect for elders, which I know exists, is um, stretched or irritated by the incredibly annoying behavior of old people at times? Um, and, yeah, I suppose the potency for us is partly that we are in that moment and we are faced with these decisions. So, you know, you look at uh, Goneril and, and Regan, who in, in one very simplistic reading of the play would be like the Ugly Sisters and Cinderella as Cordelia and so on. But look, um, there's this guy. He insists on coming and staying with his hundred rowdy knights. God knows what carousing they get up to. It must be a bit irritating. No wonder you want to send him to your sister, and no wonder she wants to say, look, do you need all these knights? Come on, just have a few less knights, and so on and so on. And, you know, it's caring for an elder. It's a thing. It's a thing. And uh, so I think that's that's part of the really important discussion of it right now. But the other central thing, which is just eternal, is, you know, the nature of human cruelty. And, and I'm afraid we're not short of examples of that either now and, and how it appears that it can spring out in any of us, um, given the given the right or wrong circumstances. So obviously, the play very much adapted to incorporate contemporary and, and, and local issues to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Yes, we hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You use the phrase "bringing the show to um, uh, Auckland Festival," and we're making the show. We're making the show live with a group of people, um, and uh, we don't know where it'll end. Um, uh, even more so than in a in a straighter leer, as it were, where one would be delivering and respecting absolutely the whole text. We'll probably play slightly fast and loose. Um, and in, in any case, on this occasion, we're only delivering um, a fragment, quite a large fragment, hopefully, but a fragment of uh, a putative full production at a later date next year, maybe. So what is the process working with the Hobson Street Theatre Actors? Um, this company formed in 2010, listeners, for those of you not familiar, at the Auckland City Mission. Um, what, what is the process, just the very thing you're touching on now, of rehearsing? Um, can there be um, constant adaptation of, of the play as part of the process? What's the process you are you and the cast are in? I suppose I'm a sort of guide, and people often start looking at Shakespeare rather daunted till they realise... Uh, he, they, whatever it is, belong to all of us. Um, so I suppose part of the process is me gently uh, seducing people into that Shakespeare space and getting all of us perhaps to shake off some of the fears which we might have 
had inculcated in us in school or wherever where we think it's a foreign language. Blissfully, that happens incredibly quickly, actually, when people realize that Shakespeare's speech is really accessible, that the rhythm of the yambic pentameter, the line that that Shakespeare uses, is the rhythm of the heartbeat. Um, and so, so part of the process is me guiding in that way. Reciprocally, I want to know how people receive this. I want to know what it makes people think of. I want to hear stories uh, that it makes people think of. And in that way, we will gently find our way to embodying the play uh, on stage. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a process of discovery, addition. I... I'm very respectful of of the text in many respects because I love Shakespeare. Um, but any parts that resist um, reasonably immediate understanding, what's the point of putting those there? We want to make it accessible to anybody. Are there plans for this? I, I, I was reading of plans to work in a couple of phases and, and prepare, obviously, for the festival um, production. Um, again, we keep using those elitist corporate phrases, these <laughs> phrases. Um, but to prepare for that, and then are there plans potentially for, for touring further later in the year? Where, where do things go, Adrian? These, these seem to be, in some ways, um, uh, living projects rather than just sort of a set event. Yes, that's a nice way of putting it, a living project. Um, we are hoping to tour this maybe later in the year or maybe next year. We're hoping that uh, festivals uh, um, from here and also from Australia and further afield or whatever who come to Auckland Festival and see this, what is essentially uh, a fragment or a, or a work in progress, will see that there is something worth investing in. And then, yes, indeed, we will be um, we will be back at Creative New Zealand's door, um, begging and <laughs> hoping that they can see that uh, Hobson Street will make something incredibly beautiful and special out of this really important story, which is, after all, uh, well, a probably Shakespeare's greatest play and be the play in which Shakespeare deals more substantially than at any other occasion with um, homelessness and what it is like to be cast out, uh, what it is like to be in the storm. You had a storm a couple of years ago, didn't you? Some of the some of the guys in the company were 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 were, were washed out of where they were living by your massive floods in in Auckland, am I right in that? That's, Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about storms now, we're we're talking as well as we're talking about lots of storms. We're talking about metaphorical storms, storms in the mind, psychological storms, uh, and we're also talking, as we know, about real storms which have real effects on people and leave people on the streets. What will people see? They will see a performance. They will see um, performers on stage. Do you use in your theatre any other kind of special effects? Or where we began is the power of the voice front and centre, Adrian. I think what will people see? I think people will have fun. It might seem odd to say that about a play which is essentially quite bleak. But... Um, 
our approach is playful, and playful is really important. The more serious the subject, the more playful we need to be. Seriously playful and playfully serious, I think, is a good good way of coming at it. Um, they won't see a load of special effects. There, there might be some video content in it. Um, they'll see a, an essentially pretty modern um, reading of the play. It may it may have a frame around it in in terms of the presentation of the group of people delivering it, uh, but it'll be pretty stripped back and. Uh, uh, you know, we don't really have the time or resources to do anything other than just concentrate on the play. I was lucky enough to direct a benefit performance at the Globe Theatre years ago. And um, it's amazing, of course, all you've got is this this stage. And, and in a kind of way, every performance of Shakespeare needs to remind itself that uh, there was no elaborate scenery. There were no elaborate effects. Um, there was just bodies on a stage and a couple of pillars you could hide behind. That was basically it, you know. And the imagination. And the voice imagination. and the imagination. Yeah, Adrian, thank you. Lovely to talk. Adrian Jackson. Not King Lear has been uh, created in conjunction with the Hobson Street Theatre Company. It is at the Auckland Arts Festival. There will be details on our webpage. Uh, rnz.co.nz forward slash nine to noon.